0: As promised, we will be talking about the last three factors of the Eightfold Path. And we talked about right effort the other day. I'm just going to continue a little bit with that. So primarily, if you want to keep it in mind, and this is right effort is telling you something about the end of right mindfulness, the last category of right mindfulness, Mindfulness is fully expanded in Satipatthana Sutta, the the sutta on the foundations of mindfulness, or the uh, objects of mindfulness, really. And the objects are for the body feelings, the mind itself, which is actually... Not just simply the mind, but also involving some emotional states like anger and so forth. And then the last category is this mysterious dhamma nupassana uh, insight into or seeing dhammas, which is a strange thing. Uh, what does it mean? <clears throat> you see, of course, is explained in the in the uh, the sutta you have these little lists. Again, drop-down menus. And there's various versions of the Satipatthana Sutta sprinkled throughout the the uh, collection, the Sutta collections. And they have various uh, plug-ins there for uh, Dhamma Nupasana, the last category. Now, I, I translate that as Dhamma Categories. So actually, menus—literally, they are little memory men- menus. You know, five this and seven that, and six that. In fact, you can see that it's obviously the monks are getting. Like I, I think that the Buddha did actually articulate the Satipatthana Sutta, but he he did it at different times and different places in various versions. And uh, they had the central disciples had heard this stuff articulated, and they put it together. Right? Because in one collection, it's called the Maha Satipatthana Sutta, and, which means the great Satipatthana Sutta, the larger, the largest one. And then there's other ones, there's Satipatthana Sutta. And then there's little sections of just um, on the body, uh, or on the feelings, or so little sections of it. So it uh, was obviously a common topic, And it was spoken here and there. And when you see that there are various versions of it, some the scholarly types um, see a rich opportunity for a doctoral thesis in there, but uh, really simple, same stuff, different places, different times. And then the monks get it, get a hold of it. And they have to retain it. They have to compile it, actually. So... If you're going to go off alone with a few suttas, you might decide that you want the most extensive version of the Satipatthana, the Maha Satipatthana Sutta. You want the most extensive version, so you have lots of material to work with. But there's shorter versions. And I really think that the monks inserted things not that they don't belong there, but they were set at different times in different places. So, this last category, you will see the this last category is starting with the five hindrances, uh, then the sometimes the five khandas um, as well, and then six sense bases and six sense consciousness, etc., and then, uh, guess what's next? Seven factors of enlightenment, and then what would be next? Eight! fold path. So, I think they got carried away with their memorization devices. It's it's a little suspicious. Five of this, six of that, seven of that. What a remarkable coincidence. that They just all kind of happened to go in that numerical sequence. The version that I like and the simplest version is just the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening. Really it's a bit redundant to put the eightfold path into the seventh factor of the eightfold path. The seven the eightfold path is a is of an aspect of mindfulness which is one of the factors of the eightfold path. It's what we would call very recursive structure like it's you know that thing in the bathroom mirror where you got two mirrors and you you get them the right thing and you you can see your head for thousands of heads disappearing into the <laughs> infinite distance that's recursive structure and uh the putting the eightfold path into the seventh factor of the eightfold path is is kind of loops around so i think the monks just packaged it that way because it's easy to remember but I think the essential one, the one that really defines it, makes more sense. And that is five hindrances, seven factors of awakening. This makes it so clear. It's something nice to work with. And it says under them, under the five hindrances, it says they are to be prevented and removed. They're not to be contemplated or watched. They're be, to be prevented and removed. And what's your, what about the seven factors of enlightenment? Is that something just to be observed, rise and pass away? No, actually your duty to that is to sustain and deepen and develop. So that shows up right... <clears throat> that's the fourth category of the seven factors of... Uh, sorry, the four foundations of mindfulness... That's the, it's the last thing you do just before you get to the eighth factor of the path. And the eighth factor is samasamadhi, is right uh, concentration. I hate, I just, I must find a better word. Right balanced centering or something like that. Samadhi. Uh, in, in some sort of systems kind of skip out or or given, downplayed. And um, a lot of emphasis put on watching the rise and fall of things, including the five hindrances, including any kind of factors of awakening, even including sort of concentration factors that come up, kind of more interested in the impermanent nature of it and the rising and passing away. But that's really not at all the instructions in the... uh, Mindfulness sutta is not to watch rise and pass away at all. It's quite an active thing with a very clear point to it. And that is that some things need to be prevented and removed and other things need to be sustained and developed. And that's not watching rise and pass away. So um, that is a kind of a reiteration of what was told to you in right effort so right effort tells you what's coming up that it doesn't tell you what to do it says that mindfulness is the process by which you you carry out these right effort instructions but here's the instructions first two are prevention and removal of what five hindrances Second two, the positive ones, what are they? They're to maintain, deepen, and uh, bring into existence the seven factors of awakening, the positive things. So it tells you that in under right effort. That's all that right effort is. It just tells you five hindrances have to go, seven factors have to stay. Next category over, After each of the four foundations of mindfulness, it's more or less repeated. The covetousness and grief for the world must go. That is, the summary of the five hindrances must go. Looking, Watching the body, so meditating, mindfully contemplating the body. So the first category is the body. And it's the body in uh, four, five, six different perspectives on the body the perspective could be the 32 parts of the body just seeing what how your perception of you, of a body and your body so both internally and externally how your perception changes when you take it apart as with anything i mean even the even a car when you lift the hood and there's all this stuff in there whirling belts and things it, it changes your i sort of perception of a, what a car is um, so we're, we're actually doing a little project out in the outbuilding there and it, suddenly it's changing we're, we're, and you, you start to see all of the inside guts of a, of a building you see the, the insulation and the studs and the, all this kind of stuff it's a different, very different idea of a building so you take your body apart that's one way to change your perceptions why do that? just to the extent necessary for overcoming the five hindrances that's why you take it apart to overcome your perceptions which attach to your body and the bodies of others so there's various types of things one is uh aversion you can you not like the way your nose is shaped or something like you know there's all kinds of strange stuff around your body and then the bodies of others so you like that one like that one, uh, or you don't like that one, you know, so aversion and attraction, and you're trying to overcome the structure of this the the uh psychic irritants which result from all of this pre wrong preoccupation with the body, so you're trying to you're trying to overcome that there's other ways you can contemplate the stages of decomposition of a corpse or you can. Um just contemplate the body as four elements. It's just water and air and heat and earth. Earth in the form of stuff that grows out of the earth, vegetables, and then you eat the vegetables, so you're a vegetable. <laughs> so um you know, so you're changing your view of, of you're trying to Un, deconstruct your, the sense of what the body is. Why, just to the extent necessary for overcoming covetousness and grief for the world, that is the five hindrances, move on to the feelings, painful, pleasant, neutral. Uh, why, contemplating that, see the rise and pass away, but also so that you overcome aversion and and grief for them. Uh, so, sorry, uh, covetousness and grief um, that is uh, you want the pleasurable feelings to last you know, taste of ice cream and so forth when, when you're hungry and then of course after you've eaten too much of it and you're sick you feel sick from eating too much ice cream and then you want that to go away as well you want to keep the pleasant ones and you want the other ones to go away. Covetousness and grief for the world. The world happens to be the, your feelings, the feelings in your body, the sensations in your body is the world. But The Buddha talks, monks, the world, the world, they say, what is the world? The world is found within this body, one fathom in length. This body contains the world. So when the Buddha talks about the world, this is... Uh, he is really referring to the experience of the world, and you experience the world within your own body. So, feelings just to the extent necessary for overcoming your aversion and your craving and attraction for these sensations. The last one is, um, uh, the third one is mind, and it's a very brief, simple little list Uh, You should know if you are angry or not. Greedy or not. Deluded or not. That your mind is expanded or contracted. uh, Exalted or unexalted. uh, Surpassable or unsurpassable. Surpassable meaning uh, uh, you could... You've been to better places. You you could actually go further, surpassable and unsurpassable. So, the unsurpassable is really a uh, fine state of, of mind. Doesn't necessarily mean enlightenment, but fine state of mind. Anyway, so it's just a little polarity. You're dividing it into two, just so you know what it is. Why are you doing this? In order to overcome the hindrances. And so when you rec- you're recognizing. Anger or not anger. This is helping you, but first of all, informing you what is going on. If you can't recognize the hindrances in you, how are you going to get rid of them? If you can't recognize positive mental states, the opposite of anger, non-anger, how are you going to maintain it? Now the next, you flip the page, the last page of, an, and some people stay. They they spend a lot of time on this one as kind of the watching exercise. So you're angry and you know it. And that's called being mindful. And you're not angry and you know it, and that's called being mindful. But that's not the instruction. You're angry and you are to do something about it. Your awareness of anger is to lead to the cessation of it. And then you flip the page and it gives you a, a menu of what what the your attitude towards these five hindrances are in the previous page the citta nupassana the mindfulness of the mind you have a list there you have anger or not greed or not uh, ignorance or not expansiveness or not agitation or not so forth they are just uh individual units the next page over it it uh compiles them into this menu called the five hindrances and that covers the negative things that you were just informed about so all it is is you're just supposed to be aware of it first but it doesn't stop there that doesn't stand on its own that thing is not uh, removable from the context which you have been strongly uh, enjoined to do in the previous factor, the right effort it has told you what to do with these hindrances and what to do with the, the positive ones. It told you what what it expected you to do so any uh, <clears throat> description of these things that comes up in right under right mindfulness you 've already been told in a separate factor like the opening chapter of the book already told you uh, what what the whole function and purpose of this exercise is which you are going to engage with mindfulness. Uh, so this is how they, these two things work together. And not as remember I was saying, right, why is it right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration? Because it's part of a large package, and if you cannot extract it from the package, the Every single factor of the path refers back to other factors. And if you're isolating them and, and contemplating on their own, you don't... It's kind of like a, a, get a part of a car that you've got and you're using it as a paperweight or something like that. So this is, you, don't, you can't understand what this thing is until you see where it fits in a car. A- and it has a function inside that, all those whirling parts. If you remove it from that, it just is absolutely meaningless. It's a nice piece of art, but it has no it doesn't function where it's supposed to. It's not it's not right machinery anymore. It's just machinery, but <laughs> it's not right machinery. It's only right machinery when it's in the motor functioning. So all of this when you look at the Eightfold Path, <clears throat> you have to make sure that these parts are relating to each other and you're getting injunctions again and again and again this about how to put how to arrange these parts and don't extract them. The ultimate goal, of course, is to see into the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anatta, and anicca is a favorite because it's quite approachable. Anicca meaning impermanent. But just uh, saying something is impermanent, like anger, is not the point. Anger is indeed impermanent but the very fact that you're angry means that you don't know it's impermanent. You don't get impermanence. The the function of impermanence is if you get the reality that things are impermanent, you wouldn't be mad. You're mad because you have seen permanence in what is impermanent. That's why you're angry. Uh, you, you You have your favorite cup. Your favorite potter made your favorite cup just for you. And you set it down, and then you just stand up, and bing, it goes over, and ksh, gone. And you're, you're angry and hurt. <laughs> you're, you don't know which one is the worst, the, the sorrow or the anger, or the covetousness. The I like that cup. I want that cup. I want it back. Why did it break? Obviously, you did not know that cup was impermanent because you're shocked when it reveals its impermanent nature. You're a- you're actually angry and sad about that because because why? You didn't know that cups are impermanent. Hmm. So you're not aware that your anger is impermanent if you're not aware that your cup is impermanent. You know the the idea of this impermanence is to get you free from this reaction to the change around you, things are changing around you, sometimes in a negative direction, sometimes in a positive direction, etc. The full awareness of this is that you take the surprise out of this. You, you, how would you be, How can you be surprised if you understand that nothing is permanent? Uh, Anger comes up because you do not know this, really, at at a deep level. You do not understand, you're not in touch with the reality of the uh, inevitable change of things. Not only is it inevitable, but it's unpredictable. So, you know, you just didn't expect the cup to break today, you know, uh, as if it was supposed to, you know, have a certain day when it's, Supposed to break, or you know, it just—it surprised you. Why? Why did it surprise you? Because the other aspect of which Ajahn Chah used to talk about is, is when he would talk about anicca, he would also use this this kind of term mine, which means uncertain. The problem with impermanence is also that it's very it's very unpredictable. It can it just start. It jumps out of you in the night. You know, just. Uh, surprise you any time you lose something, well, you lose your keys. Now, why do you lose your keys now? You've got to go to work. It's, it's a bad time for this to happen. It's just uncertain and uh, surprising and problematic because there's a sense that things uh, shouldn't, that they should last. And, of course, that's, that's the source of the hindrances, uh, misinformation. So by just uh, being aware of your anger, you're not, really, uh, you're not really aware of your anger. Your anger is ignorance itself. It is lack of understanding of the truth of the way things are. And so you can't be outside of that and in it at the same time. You can't be detached from your anger, which is fundamentally based in your lack of perception of impermanence. So this is often muddled up and so forth. It's really good to go over this. It makes sense. It's straightforward. It's sensible. Um... It may conflict with a lot of sort of uh, psychological th- stuff and a lot of advice to you know that you can't you can't expect to not to be angry. Just kind of kind of got to be friendly with your anger and this and that. You can't be friendly with your anger. You're angry. You're not friendly. you you got a choice. You want to be friendly or you want to be angry. So you, if you're friendly, you're not angry, and if you're angry, you're not friendly. I think I'm channeling George Carlin there. (laughs) (laughs) The last comedian I saw before I became a monk, I think. No, I I never saw him, actually. Um, So, um, you see this relationship between right effort and and just uh, uh, something that one should contemplate a lot the simple uh, instructions here. You know, The, the Buddha is sitting down with people and the Dhamma talks that are recorded are 20 minutes long. They're not long. People don't have time. Uh, they, sometimes they don't even have time to, they they just come and visit and say a few words and then they got to, well, we have much to, you know, we're householders, we have much to do, oh Lord, uh, we'll see you later. And uh, they go off and he turns to Ananda and says, it's just too bad they didn't stay for five minutes because... Three of them would have gotten enlightened. (laughs) You know, busy, busy. So, um, just five minutes, ten minutes, you know. These talks that he's having with people are 15, 20 minutes long, at most. And they're walking away enlightened. Now, there's a kind of a, a, I don't know, mythological development through time where somehow when you read the suttas, those people are different than they are now. They're different. And they, they're they miraculously available to get enlightened, and uh, that was a different time. I think, uh, and as well, uh, the Dhamma itself has become uh, complicated by a lot of commentaries and elaborate unraveling and explaining, and, and you get this massive stuff that... It, like a uh, householder doesn't want... It's, a, it's a, a bookshelf worth of stuff. You just want it. That's. I don't have time for that. It's true. But these rice farmers, and so didn't have time for it either. It, it took 15, 20 minutes to tell them the essence, enough of the essence to get liberated. And liberation is, is really not necessarily... You find this in Asia where the idea of enlightenment is that you can fly through the air or read minds or something like that. It had nothing to do with that. It's it's much more important than any of those things. I mean we we all f- fly through the air all the time, don't we? And it's not so great. In fact I don't like it. <laughs> I mean in a plane, right? <laughs> so we also walk on water here in Canada a lot. In the winter we walk on water. It's not so fun, you know. <laughs> it's over it's over rated. <laughs> We walk on water with knives on our feet. <laughs> Actually, I, I uh, when I was in West Virginia uh, thirty years ago, that's where I was ordained in uh, at the Bhavana Society. There was uh, and I had a few uh, Sri Lankan monks there, <clears throat> and one of them had arrived recently in North America. And I, we asked him if he wanted to go and see anything about. It. He'd never been out of Sri Lanka before. Is there anything you want to f- see? Anything? I want to. I want to. I want to see where they these people. They tie knives to their feet and they run around. And we the knives to their feet. Knives to their feet. They run around. It's like what is that? So they, finally, we figured out skating. Right, skating. Tie, it looks like you. He'd seen it somewhere on a television where they seem to have knives on their feet and they <laughs> skitter over the. This stuff called ice, which is rarely seen in Sri Lanka, except as little cubes like that. Anyway, these extraordinary experiences of flying and all that kind of stuff is just overrated. We don't care. There's nothing more important. Nothing is more divine, beautiful, ultimately important than the absence of suffering and the presence of well-being. Nothing None of the other stuff is just trinkets, trinkets there's only one thing that matters is the human heart relieved of its distress, and when it is and th- you know <clears throat> the seven factors of awakening tend to rise naturally if the harassments have been taken away it's just the natural state of the mind to be in, to, for joy to arise when it's not being harassed <clears throat> if joy doesn't arise then we can encourage it we're fully it's not something you have to just wait to appear you can attempt to induce it you suggest it to yourself you talk yourself into it you you make the you fake the facial expression and then sometimes the emotion follows and uh, whatever, but the primary source of the arising of this lightness of heart, joy and ease and so forth, is the alleviation of the being lost in, in these painful, uh, unwholesome and uh, unskillful structures called the hindrances. That's what liberation is. So these rice farmers, are they're listening to this And he's telling you in a very straightforward here's what's got to go and here's what will remain, what will rise if you let this stuff go. The five hindrances. if you let that stuff go, then this is going to rise, this very beautiful thing. How are you going to do that? Oh, you've got to pay attention. And you've got to make a practice of this. You've got to cultivate this. You've got to be on top of your game all day long. You've got to keep an eye on this. You've got to Watch it, you know. and gives a few exercises. You could watch your body. You could, you know, change your idea about your body. And because a lot of distress comes around this body thing, and then uh, feelings and so forth. You know, somebody has painful feeling. Well, they feel sad. They're because they they got a pain pain in their body. They're very sad. They're they're afraid and so forth. Is that not necessary? It's just simple stuff like that. That these two things aren't identical. There's a pain, and then there's sad and afraid, but they're not the same. The sad and the afraid is not necessary. That's a hindrance. Pain, yeah, well, we have a body, so you're going to have pain, but how you deal with that is optional. So These are pretty straightforward, simple things, but it can get awfully complicated, get awfully carried away into this kind of, sort of, Non-judgmental awareness, which is never non-judgmental awareness. They 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 use these terms, but it's not. They're really not. There's a flaw in the logic behind this non-judgmental awareness, especially when you're referring to your own condition of hindrances. You're not non-judgmental, and you're not all that aware, because if you were, you wouldn't have these hindrances playing. So this is a fairly simple thing if you do this and that it will lead to a an inexplicable and unworldly joy that is the that's called samadhi and that's how it starts an inexplicable and unworldly joy it's not because it's a nice day it's not because you're having your favorite thing for supper or something like that or somebody said you were pretty or it's not because of any of those reasons. You just feel inexplicably lighthearted and without these things, fear and anxiety and so forth. And that's So he's steering you towards this much more stable, lasting and refined type of well-being and happiness, and that's all he's explaining. So I, I just want to link these. I'm going to knit these together over the next few days. Just keep knitting them together, making sure you understand the context and how they they relate to each other, and they they refer back to each other. Um, it might be a different way than you've been exposed to before, uh, a way of, the way of talking about this. But I really think this is. It's fairly straightforward, it's fairly simple, it doesn't take that long, uh, but you just have to get clear on it and then you can, you can easily practice it. It's something you can see.